0: Hello, Giles here, and knowing that we have a family audience, and the purple people often include some very young people, just to say that today's episode does include some language that some people may find uncomfortable or offensive.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. And if any of you are new to this podcast and you're not yet fully inducted as a purple person, then welcome. Uh, This is a podcast in which my co-host, Giles Brandreth, and I talk, witter, enjoy ourselves with the subject of language in all its glory. And I can see Giles, as it is his wont, uh, sitting in front of a gorgeous picture of Marilyn Monroe. Monroe, in his basement, which I tease him about often. Hi, Giles.
0: Well, I'm in a state of high excitement today for a number of reasons. I had a wonderful Mm -hmm. experience at the weekend. I watched a film with Marilyn Monroe that I'd never seen before, and I'm trying to remember what the title is now. It (laughs) also had in it Yves Montand, Mm -hmm. uh, Frankie Vaughan, Mm -hmm. um, a wonderful. American actor called Alan somebody who I always recognise when I see him and love what he does, but I can't remember his name. Alan Alda. No, no, this is this. The film goes back to 1960. It's an old film, and it's a little bit of an oddity, and yet it worked. It could be called something like Love for Sale or All for Love or Love. Anyway, it's a very amusing idea in which uh, essentially a show is being put on off Broadway, featuring uh, that dance, singing, and satire. And the show is going to satirise famous people, including Elvis Presley. This is 1960. Maria Callas, the great opera singer, mm-hmm. and a character who is an invented character who is like a huge international mega-rich person. You know, one of the world's richest people. I don't know who it would be today. You know, you know, Elon Musk, shall we say? Right. And the Elon Musk figure gets to hear about this and thinks, I don't know, that I want to be satirized in this musical. So he goes down to investigate where the theater was being put on, and he is mistaken for being an Elon Musk lookalike who's come to audition. And basically, he gets cast in the show. And and of course, he falls in love with Marilyn Monroe. Uh, And then eventually, it's revealed that he is Elon Musk, but people won't believe that he could possibly be Elon Musk <laughs> appearing in this show. It's, it's ridiculous. It's too real.
1: I love all of those films. I grew up, my mum used to always sit me in front of the sofa and I'd watch all the Cary Grants and the Doris Days oh, and the Sun okay. Like It Hots. And so actually that's right up my alley as well.
0: Uh, and I have to say, Cary Grant is, in my view, the, the, the greatest ever. Yes. Did you think? And Susie, I've now remembered the name of the film. Mm-hmm. It's called Let's Make Love. And, and I say I remember the thing because I'm now not letting myself leave subjects until I remember. You know, you think of somebody's name yeah. and you can't quite think of it. And then you think, oh, yeah. I think of it late. I'm now working it through. So I remembered it's Yves Monton, Marilyn Monroe, Let's Make Love. I was right about 1960 and the director was George Kukor. So it's a little curiosity, but I think worth exploring.
1: Excellent. And I am like you, although I am, as you know, what, what is called a tartler. And a tartler, if you remember, is somebody who hesitates whilst introducing someone because they've completely forgotten the name. I am like you now, I won't give up. So I go through every letter of the alphabet and somehow there should be a word for this. There is a sort of instance of recognition in your brain when you hit the right letter. Don't you think there's a sort of personality to the name that you somehow hold onto, even if you can't remember the
0: name itself. Totally. And in fact, you hope that the person you're meeting has a name that is early in the alphabet because you can't sit there, stand there, shaking their hand and saying, how lovely to see you. And they're going through it. Is it Alan? Is it (laughs) Vernon? Is it Charlie? Oh no, this is long after the tackling incident. Um, Oh, it's Elliot. Hello, Elliot. Lovely to see you again. (laughs) But if in fact you're meeting somebody called Zebedee, uh, it may take some while to greet them. (laughs) Well, this is a nice and unplanned way of introducing the theme that you have chosen for this week, which is to a little bit explore 또 <목소리도> the alphabet and yes. words that come from the alphabet. Can you help me by telling me, I assume the alphabet is so-called because of alpha, beta, gamma, delta, which are letters at the beginning of the Greek alphabet. I
1: know. Isn't that, I remember the uh, the moment of recognition when I learned that, and it was only in my late 20s that I actually oh, found out the etymology of alphabet. But yes, of course, alpha, beta is named after the first two letters in the alphabet. We use the Latin alphabet, the most widely used alphabetic writing system, in the world.
0: Well, why not take us through the alphabet, either correctly from, well, I say correctly from A to Z, who's saying whether well, one not should go forward or backwards? <laughs> why, isn't it odd? Why does it come in this particular order? But it does. Mm. Mm. Is there a reason that it's the order it's in? A, B, C, D, E, F, G? H-I-J-K-N-M-N-O-B?
1: Yes. I think, I wonder if there is a job called an alphabetician. Wouldn't that be lovely So say, what do you do? Oh, I'm an alphabetician. In yeah. other words, you're an expert on the alphabet and its orders and things. So you're asking me lots of really good questions today. I can definitely start with the letter A and tell you how it began its life. Please do. Uh, which was in 1800 BCE. So take a capital A, Giles, and you turn it upside down. If you imagine it in your head, you can see something of its original shape, and it looks a little bit like an ox with its horns sticking up in the air.
0: It looks very like an ox with its horns.
1: So that was the letter's original name, really, Ox or Aleph in an ancient Semitic Language. And then by the time the Phoenicians used it, it was kind of, it had changed shape a little bit, almost looked like a K because it was lying on its side. And then because we began to write much more quickly, it changed its shape again and it was more like a horizontal form of our modern A. Um, Ancient Greeks, as we know, called it alpha and they reversed the shape of it so that the point was on the right hand side because they wanted to write from left to right. And then, and so on and so on. You know, the Greeks rotated it, and then the Romans added the ceris, which you can see in various inscriptions. So every civilization has had a hand in crafting the alphabet as we know it today.
0: And when did capital letters, I mean, we're talking capitals here. The description you've given me of an A is of the, the ox now upside down, standing on its head, and it gives mm. me the modern A. But the lowercase a, or rather the small a, that would be in the middle of a word. Actually, now I stop to think about it, it doesn't look anything really like the capital A. When did that evolve?
1: No, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, It seems to have produced, first of all, an upside down V shape. So if you take that capital and then flip it on its head, it was like a V. And then it slowly acquired this connecting loop which is what we see now. And that probably began during Charlemagne's lifetime when his scribes produced what was called a Carolingian minuscule. So that was what the lowercase was
0: called in those days. And Charlemagne, I do remember him from my days at the French lycée in London. He was the great ruler of France, Charlemagne. Mm -hmm. When, When would he be? A thousand years ago, more?
1: He was the Holy... He was the Holy Roman Emperor, wasn't he, oh, really? Was he? So as good between as that, wasn't he? he was King of the Lombards. So this is between around seven fifty, so the middle of the eighth century to the beginning of the ninth century. And he was the first emperor of the Romans, what what was called the Holy Roman
0: Empire. Yes, um, and essentially. I think when I was taught about him, indeed, Charlemagne Charles the Great, he was known as the King of the Franks. We thought of him as French, but you are completely right. He was also King of the Lombards and he was crowned Emperor of the Romans by Pope Leo III in the year 800.
1: Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, it's just, just so much involved here, isn't there? So, the Upper case really is the majuscule. That is oh, that. That's the kind of the capital, and the Latin or Roman alphabet uses obviously both of them. And the first earliest known Roman magiscal or or capital letters can be seen chiselled, and you can tell I'm reading this, in the stone of numerous surviving Roman monuments. They are distinguished by their slightly heavier downstrokes and lighter upstrokes and by their use of serifs. Square capitals, because of the short lines stemming at right angles from the other ones, set a standard it says here for elegance and clarity in the Roman alphabet that has never been surpassed.
0: Well, I like A in that description. I've always liked the letter C because it's the same in en majuscule when it's big as when it's small. Mm -hmm. But B has always confused me because B when it's big has got a double bubble, but when it's small, it's got a single bubble. So sometimes it's like a dromedary. Other times it's like a Bactrian. And I can always remember the difference between a dromedary and a bactrian. The dromedary begins with the letter D and therefore has only one hump. But the bactrian, think of a capital B, uh, like the letter B, has two humps. But isn't isn't that strange?
1: Well, it started off with two. And again, everybody had their hand in it. So, the Semitic word for house began with a B. It was bait, B-A-Y-T, Essentially. And as I say, people changed it. And the Phoenicians wrote from right to left. So when the Greeks switched their own writing from left to right, they flipped the B to make it what we would now think of as being in the right direction. And they closed, they called it beta. Um, so it's one upright, two closed root loops, thanks to the Greeks. And the first creators of the lowercase b were monks in their scriptoria. And again, this was all about speed writing. So, you know, if you can get away with one loop, then you don't have to bother with two. So they were sweating over these manuscripts, as you, as you would know. And if they could speed things up just a tiny bit, then that would be great. So it was they who produced the
0: lower case. Also, this going from left to right or right to left, I wonder if, I'm sure research yeah. has been done, on which is easier to do, or maybe they're equally easy to do.
1: I have no idea. But I, I mean, in terms of the hand, you can see how it's almost slightly easier to move from right to left. Or left to right. I, I think so we move is. from left to right because we're not smudging the ink. Whereas if you move from right to left, your hand, if you're right-handed, is actually smudging potentially the ink that you've just left on the page.
0: But millions of people are doing it. Are they all, are they all <laughs> ink smudgers? Maybe they're all left-handed. Shall we take a quick break? And then I want you to take me, please, through some of the letters of the alphabet and, and words that they've given us.
1: Okay
0: This is something rhymes with purple, and as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to alphabets, Susie Dent knows it all. She's A one, I
1: Absolutely, don't know it all, but I'm having great joy in um, in learning it. I have to say, yes, the letter A, A one, as you say. Well, that's not me, but it means first class, oh. and that goes back to Lloyd's Register of Shipping, oh. and so the condition of a ship's hull, particularly, is produced in letters and the equipment that the ship contains by figures. So A1 is top of the list on both counts, and so it means excellent. Very good. Ship shape. And
0: is AOK the same sort of thing?
1: Um, It supposedly stands for all systems OK. Some people think that it was invented by someone in NASA, who used it in 1961 and that he over he misheard a simple OK as A-OK and relayed it to reporters and radio listeners. it was quite possible it had a life before then, but that that kind of propelled it into popularity.
0: Very good. Okay, give us some more. I'm liking this.
1: Okay. Well, shall we talk about that? well we talked about the letter C. That incidentally is a rounding of the Greek gamma the G. Oh. And that was a change from a Phoenician sign for a camel originally, when we think about pictorial representations of this. I'm trying to think if there are any any sayings related to C.
0: Well, you have abbreviations. You think of a C section, which is short, oh, I yeah. imagine, for a Caesarian, Caesarian. section.
1: Yes, yeah, so-called, cool because it was thought that Julius Caesar was born this way. Oh, wasn't he? Uh, no, not completely sure about that. They think it was probably one of his relatives. But Yeah. The the jury is out, but that is why it is so called. And of course, we talk about the C word, don't we? Ah, Um, Which is possibly the biggest taboo of all. Yeah. Um, and
0: funny, it is quite right too. Um, I, I often find myself, I, uh, often there are meetings that take place on a Thursday. And certainly I do a lot of uh, events, award ceremonies, and, and public dinners and things that I speak at. Mm-hmm. And invariably, the most popular night for these events is a Thursday. I mean, by a long way, many more things happen on a Thursday. I'm, okay. I am booked up every Thursday. All the year round, so I regularly see m- and, and emails to people saying, uh, "Except I don't write this." See you next Thursday. I would say, "See you on Thursday." See you next Thursday. But but you're thing about I,
1: see you next Tuesday, right? Is this where we're going?
0: Oh, I was. Oh, it's next Tuesday. <laughs> is it? Well, I, for me, it's always Thursday because I'm always saying <laughs> to people, "See you next Thursday," and uh-huh. then I and then I think, that, no, I can't put "see you next Thursday" because obviously, when I'm writing it, I'm writing in the letter S E W E, but also it could be uh, an acronym um, for mm. the C word. You um, could indeed. So do you ever do you ever do that? Do you ever find yourself writing, see you next Thursday by mistake or see you next Tuesday?
1: No. Oh, no. interesting. But then, you obviously Thursday is not such a busy day for me, oh, well, <laughs> clearly. We um, well, I'm just looking through the OED as to what C can stand for as an abbreviation. And you have chapter, century. You have C in cricket, meaning caught by. Centigrade. You have centigrade. You have C in uh, dentistry terms for canines. Uh, You have C for carbon, for cardinal, for cocaine, for an electrical current, and for a paper laid before parliament, you might know about this, short for command paper.
0: Oh, I didn't know that at all. No. I haven't come across that one.
1: No. Yeah. So that's good. Now, we turn to the letter D, if you like. So pictorially, this was the outline of an archway or a door. And in Phoenician and Hebrew, there was daleth meaning a door. And in Greek, there was delta. And I think in Egyptian hieroglyphics, it represents something else, not a door, but a hand. But we have, of course, D-Day, in which D simply stands for day, because... It, it was essentially it was not fixed because of impossible weather conditions and it was postponed at the last moment. So it was fixed for the 5th of June, postponed until the 6th of June, but D simply stood for day. So D-Day is a bit of a tautology.
0: Oh, oh so there wasn't an A-Day and a B-Day. And a, no. I assume there was one. <laughs> B-Day, B-Day. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> A-Day, B-Day, uh, C-Day. They, they actually did it on the fourth day. They had a sort of window and they went for the fourth day. Yeah. But actually D-Day was referred to as the day we do it. The day and that will be the day that we do it when we decide when we do it. Yeah. How intriguing. Exactly. So yes. The, oh, that's a very good pub quiz question, isn't it? What does, what the, does D&D the D stand, day stand for? for? It stands for day.
1: No one would guess that, would they?
0: They would. Well, that listeners to Purple now will be setting it in their Christmas pub quizzes.
1: Yeah, okay. As you say, it's a very, very good one. And um, of course, you've got E.E. Cummings as well, haven't you, who famously wrote everything in lowercase.
0: And I discovered didn't write everything in lowercase. Oh, okay. Uh, But he did, but he wrote a great deal in lowercase. But it turned out it wasn't, because when I was doing my um, anthology of Poetry to Learn by Heart, I wanted to include some E.E. Cummings. And uh, I, I wrote to the agents who look after his estate. And they said, no, no, no. They wrote back, you know, Mr. Cummings and E.E. E. Cummings, spelt in a normal way. And in some of his poetry did that, but he also wrote with capital letters as well. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. E.E. E bagum. You've learned something there. E. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a word, isn't it? E. E. e-, e? Would that yeah. be it?
1: And and it of Yorkshire, so by gum is just a euphemism or what we call a minced oath. Oh, as in by God, is it? For God, yes, it would Uh, be. I'm going to see if E is actually in the dictionary
0: as... I think it will be, because it sounds to me like a word that now is a very useful Scrabble word. You know, you've got a surplus of, of letters.
1: Yes. So 1847, and in Anne Bronte, actually... Is it Anne Bronte? Just, it is, was it Anne Bronte? There are three of them. Who no, wrote I Agnes thought, well, Grey? Who wrote Agnes Grey? I think
0: it's going to be Anne Bronte. Yes, Anne well Bronte.
1: done. So, um, the novel
0: that no one's read.
1: Oh, I have. Agnes Grey is gorgeous. And there's actually a oh, really lovely dramatisation of it on um, BBC iPlayer, oh. I recommend Yes. So 1847, the first record in the OED, Eee, my word, but he shall sweat for it. So presumably one of the characters with strong dialect. It says, chiefly in speech or recorded speech used to express a range of emotions or responses, both positive, pleasure, eagerness, surprise, and negative doubt, consternation, dismay. So yeah, pretty useful.
0: And because I have a son-in-law who's a vet, I've heard of E. that's a virus, the Eastern Ooh. equine Encephalitis virus oh, encephalitis, is known yeah, as E among vets.
1: Oh, that isn't good. That's inflammation of the brain,
0: isn't it? Oh, is it encephalitis? Yes. Oh, well, that isn't. That I
1: isn't think it's really. ence. Is it and enceph- en- en-
0: I'm going to look. Well, I don't now. know. You you can check it up. I mean, it's- I have
1: always used the soft C. So this is another good, as you say. If we if we had a chance to do it all over again, maybe we would actually indicate what is.
0: I would say I would say encephalitis.
1: Okay. Um, oh, it gives you both. Uh, it gives you absolutely both. Um, first one, it does say encephalitis, but uh, NK is, encephalitis is also equally valid. There well, you let's go. hope
0: your horse doesn't get it. But if it mm. does get in touch, I know a very good vet who I hope will well certainly do his best to sort it out. Also, isn't there, uh, uh, there are drugs called ease. I mean, I feel like... Ease heard for ecstasy. The- yeah. Oh that's what it is. E for yeah. ecstasy. Never. Yeah. You and I've never experimented with drugs, have we? Oh, well, I certainly have. No,
1: not in that sense. I mean, did you not even smoke pot? We we talked about this on celebrity Goggle no, didn't we? we did you never even never smoke a joint?
0: Smoke. Of course not. <laughs> I've never smoked anything. I even felt bad when I was about six years of age, putting in my mouth those sweets that had little sort of rice paper across them. They were like a, and you know.
1: What were they called? They were the like, space, a, like spaceships and they had sherbet in the middle. Those no, ones. No. Oh.
0: It was a simple, it was a toy cigarette, really. And it Oh, was, yes, yes, yes. That would had, light
1: up. Can yes, you, exactly. Yes, Light up at yes, one yes. end. Oh,
0: I love those. But I, I never even did that.
1: No, I've never dropped a knee.
0: You've never dropped an knee.
1: <laughs> I haven't. That's, if that's what you say,
0: that's uh, so not never been my thing. Ease. No. So it's ecstasy, and who named it ecstasy?
1: Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? That if you take the names of certain drugs, like heroin, was supposed to make you feel like a hero. The idea is that it was incredibly empowering. I suspect it was the well. I don't know whether it was the vernacular name for it, or uh colloquial so it says recreational amphetamine based drug having euphoric effects 1985 particularly associated with clubbing but it does say colloquial so i assume it wasn't the drugs company unlike heroin because yeah. i think that actually was the name that was given to it might have been buyer i might be um Um, it was commercialized by the German, oh no, it was Bayer. It was commercialized by the German chemist H. -H Dreser, who was working for the Bayer company. And the use of heroin as its name was registered as a trademark by Bayer in 1898. And... Uh, Yeah. So it was because at that point it was because your personality was supposed to be amplified once you took the drug and it was supposed to be exhilarating and make you feel like a hero but obviously its future life was um, probably not on the cards then.
0: We don't encourage listeners to try any of these things unless under the guidance of a qualified medical practitioner who's advising them to take them for their health's sake.
1: Not, you mean like being out of control?
0: I'm frightened of all these things because I don't like being in control. Yes. So the idea of this to me, I don't want to be out of control. Okay. I, I want to be in control. So, the idea I, I just think it's one of the reasons I no longer drink alcohol. I want to be, for what it's worth, in command of the situation. But I think you're ready because you're a more curious person, you're a more daring person. I'm
1: really not, not when it comes to narcotics, I'm afraid. I've never eaten a magic mushroom, for example, because I'd be terrified of what happened. But no, I do like a glass of wine. Well,
0: of course, you <laughs> have. A magic mushroom. I <laughs> see you coming round for a magic. Oh, yes, tonight I'm going to Susie's. She's doing <laughs> masher, magic mushroom omelettes. Um, but then there were people who used to mm. give you hash cakes going back to obviously the sort of 60s mm. or 70s when pot, mm. as you called it, was, was a thing. You would go round and people would, would have made...
1: I have no idea. Was it
0: chocolate brownies? I think, I, think with, I
1: feel slightly sad that I never was offered these things because people always assumed, I suppose, that I was yeah. just a completely square person that would never try any of these things. So... Well,
0: I know I've told you before I was invited to go to an Audrey, Yes. and I didn't ha- I didn't have the nerve.
1: I've not been invited to one of those either. thank
0: God goodness um, no. No. No, no no the idea did not appeal to me at all. no
1: this was um, a swing party, wasn't it, essentially.
0: I suppose it was. Yeah. Is that what it's called? I think More so. than an orgy. A swing party. <laughs>
1: you and toga. Uh, yeah.
0: No, you're, <laughs> uh, you're right. They didn't actually, maybe they did use the word Audrey. Uh, look, before we leave the letters, which we must do in a moment, well, yes, can, you well, just, quick, can you quickly going? tell me where the word Audrey comes from, if you know? Such a good word.
1: Yes, it goes back to a Latin and Greek, well, Greek word, ultimately, meaning energy. And weirdly, it's related to ergonomics and to the idea of working. So, working and orgies and allergies, weirdly, are all part of the same linguistic family.
0: That's great. Working from home, have an orgy. I Audrey. just
1: happen to know that.
0: <laughs> That's very good. Look, we've got to the letter E, which I think is, is that seven letters? I think things in life fall in sevens. Shall we stop that for today and come back to it another day? Because Lucky. we've got so many letters to read from people.
1: We do. Is that all right?
0: What do you, are you happy with that, Susie?
1: I'm very happy with that because we slightly went, I'm very sorry to um, all our listeners that we went off and started talking about orgies. Um, but yes, very happy to start talking about our correspondence. Uh,
0: and to be honest, I get high just on talking language with you. Who needs pot or E or heroin <laughs> when they've got dent? <laughs> so, have, have people been in touch? Who's been in touch and what have they been writing to us about?
1: Stuart is from Tainmouth in Devon. Do you have his email? I do.
0: Details? And is it Tainmouth or is it Tinmouth? Maybe it's Tinmouth. It's spelt T-E-I-G-N and then mouth. And I imagine it's yeah. the mouth of the river Tin? Tain?
1: Yeah, I'm, I am absolutely terrible at place name pronunciation. So, let's see where teen, mouth Yeah, Tynmouth, you're absolutely right. Do you want to read his email?
0: Yes. I was enjoying a lovely walk today and was unceremoniously reminded of the power of nature when monsoon-esque rain fell from what had just been a gloriously blue sky. As we resigned ourselves to the deluge, I found myself chatting to a fellow walker about the warming pleasures of anticipating the hot chocolate that awaited us on our arrival at the cafe. The lady I was speaking to commented that it will warm the cockles of my heart. This fascinated me as I'd only ever heard the shortened phrase, to warm your cockles. I'm afraid I'd assume that cockles were yet another euphemism for sexual organs, but hearing <laughs> the full phrase suggested that I was ah. wrong. I'm not sure if the fact that the lady was 87 years old is relevant here. Maybe the phrase has changed in <laughs> recent usage. Regardless, now what we're heading into deepest autumn, I'd love to hear more about the phrase's roots. Huge thanks for your thoughts and for a much smile-inducing podcast. Well, Stuart, we think you're wonderful. And um, Susie has the answer.
1: Yes, wonderful. Even though you did assume, I I imagine that cockles were all to do with testicles. And there is indeed a very long lexicon or a big lexicon of slang terms for testicles jelly bags nerves aunt police etc twiddle-diddles but that is not what this is about it was indeed exactly as your nice correspondent told you uh, the woman that you met because it was the cockles of my heart and that is because a cockle obviously is that sort of burrowing bivalve mollusk with a really strong ribbed shell uh, that is because some of the i guess the Ventricles of the heart are said to resemble in shape a cockle. Uh, so, when you talk about the cockles of your heart, you are in, in so it's a kind of play on words, really, but um, you are actually talking about the sort of innermost workings of your heart, which is lovely. And we had uh, guests, or we've actually had contestants on Countdown with cochlear implants. And if you look at cochlea as well, that is to do with spiral objects because it goes back to the mollusk, the snail shell, if you like, and the spiral cavity of the inner ear looks exactly
0: like that. Well, you are a mine of information. And so thank you, Stuart Riddle, for asking that question. Stevie has been in touch from Scotland and he writes, I have a question regarding the word pants, P-A-N-T-S. Growing up in Yorkshire, we would use the word pants as a catch-all to mean trousers, jeans, chinos, whatever. This was so normal to me that when I left Yorkshire and used the term, I got some funny looks, as it seems the rest of the country uses this word to mean underwear. I note that American English uses the term pants to mean trousers too. I wonder if you could explain the origin of this. Did American English take the word, with its meaning as I understand it, from the Yorkshire dialect? Or did we, unwittingly, take it from them? If American English did adopt the word, why was pants only used in Yorkshire to mean trousers and underwear across the rest of Britain? Thank you. That's the question from Steve. And Steve, as questions go, it isn't pants. (laughs) <laughs> What's the answer?
1: Okay, so let's go right the way back to the origin of pants. And we have to look back to Italian comedy and the famous theatrical movement called the Commedia dell'arte with lots of stock Characters, and we're talking 16th to 18th centuries here, really the predecessor, I suppose, to the English pantomime. And there was a character called Pantaloni, and he was a foolish old man who wore a red costume that included long, very close fitting trousers that actually covered the feet. And because he was so recognizable by this slightly strange question, from, from the 17th century, pantaloons was given to a whole host of kind of fashion choices in the nether regions, including the one worn by pantaloon himself. And then in the US, first of all, from the mid-19th century, pantaloons became a name for any trousers. And obviously pantaloons were then shortened to pants. And it was we in Britain who took those Pantaloons or those pants, and decided in a way that was actually much frowned upon by quite a lot of linguistic observers, we decided to apply the word to underwear. So it was we who sort of corrupted it. But what's really interesting, and I've tried to get to um, the bottom of this, as in why in Yorkshire do they still mean trousers, which is fairly extraordinary, um, Stevie says, you know, and it sounds like almost exclusively because they used pants, as he says, to mean anything, trousers, jeans, or chinos. I cannot find the answer to this at all. I mean, dialect is quite unpredictable, but given that we took pants anyway from the US, clearly in one pocket of Britain, we preserved that original meaning of trousers. And in the rest of Britain, we went with underpants. But why, Stevie? I have no idea. And I wish I could explain the idiosyncrasies. Of the British mind, but I can't. But if I do discover it, because it's now a puzzle on my list, I will um, I will let you know, I'll let the purple people know.
0: Well, if somebody does have the answer, they can get in touch with us, can't yeah. they? If there is somebody out there who thinks, actually, I can solve this one, please contact us. The address is very simple it's purple people, that's one word, purple people at somethingrhymes.com. Yeah. Purple people at somethingrhymes.com.
1: Yes. Um, also, I have just a, a little bit to add about the mm. cockles of one's heart. Really, because cockles, obviously, we still eat, don't we? And you may, I don't. Mm. know. one one might eat, um, yeah. but their their zoological name is Cardium adule, in which Cardium is from the Greek Cardia, meaning heart. We talk about a cardiac arrest, and adule means edible, so almost means edible heart. So it's almost the other way around, I think, to what I was saying about cockles being either the muscle first and then the heart. I think actually the heart shape came first and then we we decided to call the British cockle the cardium adule. So it is a bit of a play on words, the cockles of the heart.
0: You take us down such wonderful byways listeners, that for our 250th anniversary, which is coming up any minute now, we we're going to say thank you to you by actually sharing some of your choicest questions. So, if there's something you you want to know about, an etymology or just a, a question you'd like to ask us, however big, small, complicated, uh, easy, just write to us. Send us a voice yeah. note even uh, from all over the world. We'd love to hear from every continent because we have we have listeners, Susie, literally in every continent on planet Earth, it's wonderful which is which is fantastic so we'd love to include one from every continent that would be fun be wonderful anyway it's purple people at and we obviously we'll try to answer as many as possible in that episode this episode we have got time still for your trio Susie what are the three words you're going to intrigue us with um,
1: well the first one I think will be familiar to many of the British purple people people um, it comes in various spellings but it's cattywampus Ooh. and a cattywampus, particularly in the u.s was a, a sort of bogeyman if you like a sort of fierce and imaginary animal but we in british dialect use cattywampus to mean askew so if something is just what in other other um regional dialects they say on the her it's just a little bit wonky um you might say it's cattywampus which i just love because it sounds gorgeous The next one is now, I suspect, Giles, because you have such a lovely grand house that you might know this already. um, It's a staircase where the stair, you reach a point and then the stair turns back in exactly the reverse direction of the lower flight. So it kind of goes back on itself and then up. And then back on itself again. Do you know what the platform is where it turns back? Do you know what that's called?
0: Well, we call it the landing, but what is well, it technically called?
1: No, but th- it's not really a landing because it's just a tiny platform before you then go up more steps. So it's not. It isn't when you reach the top and have the landing. It's the half pace.
0: What's a called? half pace?
1: A half pace. Yeah, How I didn't know that, and I suspect there are other that. words for it. But I, I love the half pace. I like the idea. Well, I that.
0: shall say to my wife when we're going up this evening to bed, carrying our cocoa. I shall say, darling, we've reached the half pace. Shall we Let's pause stop for a moment? For a little while. Exactly. Yes, have a little moment of reflection on the half pace. <laughs> on the half pace.
1: And have you ever been under the delusion that you are an animal, even for a second? If you imagine yourself to be a cat or yes. a werewolf. Yes. Have you?
0: Yes. Not a werewolf, certainly. But (laughs) funny enough, only the other day I was imagining I was a cat. I was envying our cat, Nala, who was lying, looking so completely relaxed. I thought, I would love to be a cat. And I'd love to be stroked, as I'm stroking you now, Nala. And I did. I I envied the cat because I wasn't a cat. I'd love to be a cat.
1: Well, I think that if you were a zoanthropist, you probably would imagine that you are actually a cat. So, zoanthropy is the delusion of someone who believes themselves to have changed into an animal. So they actually believe that they have become an animal. I don't know why I threw that one in. I suspect no purple person has felt this way, but I would love to hear from you if you have. Is that? Do you think that's fair enough or should we be scared? We, we, we
0: don't know. <laughs> I'd love to hear from somebody who has, but if there are people who are zoanthropists, that's the word, is it?
1: Yeah. So that's from zo meaning animal and then anthrop, uh, you know, when the anthropy Anthropos, um, anthropological, etc., meaning human, a man, um, if you like,
0: yeah. And, and there are characters you call them anthropomorphic. Exactly. If if there are stories, I mean Rupert Bear, because he talks and walks, is an anthropomorphic animal. Yes. He's not like a real animal. It's it's a it's a character. Yes.
1: And one of my yeah. favourite words, which sometimes comes in useful at the end of the Christmas break, is apanthropy. And that means ah without, pan meaning all, and then thruppy, short for epanthropos, meaning people. So you want to be on your own. You are without all people. Wonderful. <laughs> what about a poem for us today?
0: Well, the poem I've got for you this week comes from a listener. Uh, Carol Morgano has written to me from Hinkley in Leicestershire, and she's been raising money for worldwide cancer research by publishing a book of her poems called The Patter of Poetry. Hmm. And she had 50 copies printed locally, sold them. She raised £200 for the cause. So I thought, this is marvellous. And uh, so I've got her book in front of me. I think it's now probably available on Amazon. And she's giving all the money away. And I just opened the book at, at ch- by chance. I thought I dipped into it earlier. I thought, oh, these are rather nice. And I just opened it by chance today and came across a poem called My Worry Tree. I have a little worry tree I was given by a friend If I didn't have my worry tree, I'd go right round the bend. Mm. When things are getting stressful and particularly manic, I know I have my worry tree, so there's no need to panic. I'm so fortunate to have this tree. It's such a special kind. It's not growing in my garden. It's just planted in my mind. So whenever I am anxious and I don't know what to do, I will go and find my worry tree and my big scissors too. Then, the subject of my worry that is causing so much grief, I will scoop it up so gently and I'll place it on a leaf. Then, with my enormous scissors, the offending leaf I'll sever, and I'll watch my worry blow away to disappear forever. Aww, that's lovely. It's a charming poem from The Patter of Poetry by Carol Magano. And well done raising all that money for Worldwide Cancer Research. Aww, Good person. Amazing.
1: Lovely idea. And, well, that is our lot today. We have really enjoyed, well, we had a few digressions, but we really enjoyed touching on the first bit of the alphabet and I'm looking forward to returning to the rest of it. Please keep following us and do subscribe if you have a chance and would like to be reminded when we have a new episode out. And please recommend us to friends and family.
0: Yeah, something Rhymes with Purple is a Sony Music Entertainment production produced by Naya Deo, Harriet Wells, Hannah Newton, Chris Skinner, Poppy Tom, Thompson and you noticed I emphasised Harriet Wells because she's actually she there is. in the lovely room. To have Harriet. Yeah, she's thing. there. We love seeing her again. And somebody we haven't seen for a long while. No. But he looks like, well, he looks like Edward Lear, one of the characters drawn by Edward Lear. You know, the man who had all those birds in his beard. There's a limerick about <laughs> no, no, him. That's who he looks like.
1: It, it's Gully. It is the lovely Gully who now has another beardy person or at least creature in his studio in the form of Rolo. And, you know, the saying, I think, Giles, is, really true that have a dog and you will choose one that looks just like you.